I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the Fourth Trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth Trimester Care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. Hi, it's Esther Gallagher. I'm here with my dear friend, Ann Jonas, and we are doing little interview today to talk about Anne's life journey around uh, birth and doula work and possibility, spirituality, and uh, her continuing journey. And it's great to see you. Thanks for coming over to do this podcast with us today. Why don't we start with you giving us uh, a little introduction, like the short introduction to who you are, what you do, and then we'll launch into the the journey. Great. Thank you, Esther, for inviting me to be a part of this. I'm honored. I have been put on this earth to help and support people, and I've manifested that energy through multiple ways. I uh, consider my first career in the restaurant business waiting tables as helping and supporting people through a dining experience. And that moved as I journeyed through my 20s into a career, a beginning career in body work and massage therapy that evolved into doing energy work. And from there, I was led to doula work when I had a pregnant client. I took a prenatal massage class and I was very interested in actually stepping back in college when I found out about midwifery. I was doing a research paper when you can research anything that possibly exists. I decided to research witches and found that there were books there was information. It was brilliant. Kind of a surprise too, right? Kind of, yeah. <laughs> like we're thinking like, you know, well, this was pre-Harry Potter days, but you know, <laughs> Sleeping Beauty. Um, so the idea that uh, witches in many respects were midwives and, and people that worked with nature and earth and creation and energy. And I was very attracted to that concept. And yet not willing to step into that type of work, but also informed me as to a whole new belief system and and approach to the birth experience. Whereas prior to that, I only knew of, you know, go to a hospital, have a baby. So that led me then, like I said, to this uh, prenatal massage class where I found out about doula work, which was a wonderful way to see myself doing birth work without the responsibility and the extensive training of becoming a midwife. At the time, I was, like I said, in the restaurant business, so wasn't quite in a lifestyle, per se, (laughs) to accommodate being on call. 
So I just said, this looks great. I'm going to put this on the proverbial shelf. Fast forward a few years and a friend of mine said to me, hey, did you ever become a doula? I want you at my birth. And I thought, this feels like a good time to move into that space. I had been doing body work. She actually hired me to be her doula prior to a training as a support person because of my body work experience. Signed up for my training, but her birth, of course, came a few days early. <laughs> so I went in having read a couple books and through the experience, which was amazing and beautiful, to go to the training and find out that I had done everything right. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just a matter of learning more techniques and gathering more information and tools. So that led me into this amazing birth world. And I did trainings with the woman who trained me and stepped into that piece, which led me then into teaching, doing a Lamaze training, as well as lactation consulting, or excuse me, lactation counseling, Mm -hmm. and just an infant massage. I did uh, work with clients to which is really more about those first connections to baby. Mm-hmm. So all of that happened. And then in my mid-30s, I experienced a pretty significant life change. And that was that uh, my after my parents had been divorced for 25 years, my father, who had had multiple suicide attempts, showed up at my mother's doorstep, and he shot and killed her. Oh. And that was a, needless to say, huge life experience, which brought a, a deeper spiritual journey for me, a level of acceptance and honoring of the life process. So from there, um, in my career, I had, I had left the restaurant business at this point. I was doing doula and body work. And moved through this journey in a way that maybe surprised a lot of people. There was this understanding of, well, what's the grief process like? And you go through these steps. Mm -hmm. And there was this curiosity as to why I wasn't feeling things in certain orders. And maybe even some judgment of being in denial. Mm -hmm. Because I was in acceptance. And that's an interesting There's a fine line between denial and acceptance, Mm -hmm. which I could just fast forward for a second into the birth experience. Sure. Yeah. 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 The experience that we have that the information that we put onto our understanding of our birth or birth in general. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that in a lot of ways has been a foundation for my growth, my emotional and spiritual growth. Mm-hmm. And my father went to jail. Uh, he died in jail a year and a half after my mother had died. And so that was a place to just move forward without parents and continue my life. And then I met my partner a couple years later. She and I immediately knew that we were meant to be a couple and start a family. And a month before her, our wedding, she was diagnosed with melanoma. Mm. So we began a journey of healing work, um, surgery that 
was, it was a medical experience initially. Then when she was in a remission place, we began the journey of our starting our family with me getting pregnant and the gift of her brother also identified as gay as our donor. So my daughter's uncle is her daddy. <laughs> and it often feels that way anyway. Right? Anyway, yeah. <laughs> uncle daddy. Yes. Uncle daddy. <laughs> so when Jordan was a little over two, Erica passed away mm. after a four-year journey. Uh, when Jordan was actually nine months old was when the cancer, she came out of remission. Mm. So 18 months of different treatments. And so I became a single mom with a two-year-old mm-hmm. and not by choice. Yeah. 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 Wow. So, yeah. Pretty, um, I was thinking about what you said earlier about the difference between acceptance and denial and thinking about how uh, if you actually talk to psychologists, they'll tell you that denial is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there's a certain resiliency in denial, but it makes me think that perhaps there's a kind of acceptance that's happening with people who are resilient, right? Like, I mean, you are the epitome <laughs> of resilience, clearly, um, but that, you know, deny, there are different ways to do denial, right? There's right. the denial where you just keep going deeper and deeper into the pit, right? saying you're not doing that. And then right. there's kind of, okay, I'm not going to put all of my focus on the thing that's plaguing me. I'm going to move in the direction of the light. <laughs> right. Um, and I, I think, you know, that, that, that distinction is important. And I, I like that you've been able to make that distinction. I was recently listening to a podcast and, uh, of another sort, and there's a man who's written a book that I can't wait to read. Uh, he sounds like he might be a philosopher and a book writer more than say a scientist in his own right, but he wrote a book called Against um, against empathy, which most of us, and myself included, would have the normal reaction would be, "What? What's wrong with empathy? Isn't empathy what makes us nice people?" And it turns out that no, it doesn't. It makes us punitive. It makes us angry. You know, it's when we're relating to how someone is feeling and we don't like those feelings, the tendency is then to behave in a way as to try to annihilate all of that. Right. Um, and I think whereas compassion, he argues, okay. is um, the capacity to understand that people or animals or whatever, uh, are suffering, but hold a kind of core together in service of perhaps relieving that suffering or just being able to be present with that suffering. And that that does everybody a whole lot more good than, 
you know, being mad and whacking the bad guy or, you know, <laughs> whatever you decide to do once your empathy uh, runs out and turns to something else. What's interesting as I was about to interject and I'm happy you completed your thought because what I was going to suggest is that empathy with boundaries is a beautiful combination. And I believe that that's where you get compassion. Yeah. Because you can develop it. Right. Because there's a place of honoring another's journey and knowing it doesn't well, it, it doesn't have to completely affect you. And I, I believe that's where when, when people are empathic and, and really feel what someone else is going through, that's where that anger develops from mm-hmm. versus being able to separate and recognize that this is their journey and this is my journey. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful piece I want to step into because... I believe this is what informs a core of my spiritual practice in that I'm here to do the work of my life. And I was born as a white Jewish girl in the 20th century in California. Yeah. (laughs) And that's my story. I wasn't born in a war-torn country. I wasn't born in poverty. This is what... And to go back even further, what I chose, Mm -hmm. this is the spiritual path and this was the human life construct that serves my spiritual path. So for me to feel bad for someone who had it worse or feel jealousy for someone who has it better, what I'll look back and go is, well, you chose this. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And what are you going to do with this life now? Mm -hmm. So, and so that's where I see that the boundaries and the empathy and the compassion for a whole planet of beings Mm. that are here to experience this life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how can we be doulas or people who serve in whatever capacity uh, if we can't get past our dad? shooting our beloved mother, you know, I mean, um, not past it in the sense of like, it never happened. Right. But past that initial shock, that initial grief, that initial, you know, all of the things that we might be feeling, um, and, and move along in this journey that includes that. Right. Well, and, and I know that, I know that this is a difficult concept for many, many people, And what I'm going to say is that a couple things. One, I am grateful for the experiences that have shown up in my life Mm -hmm. because of what they've taught me and what I've, how I've moved through them and how I, as I stand in this place now, and I am 11 years past my mother's death and almost four years, three and a half years past my partner's passing. So this isn't, these didn't just happen yesterday, but even so in the moment I was in a place of recognizing that this and these stories serve me and that 
life happens for you and not to you. Mm -hmm. And that again, really serves that purpose of why we're here. Mm -hmm. And so I really do believe as well that the journey with my mother and that whole experience and my father and my childhood supported me to be able to hold that space with my partner Mm -hmm. and her family and our communities and to be the mother that I am. Mm -hmm. And then stepped me into the next place. My doula work, as much as I love doing it and almost attended almost 200 births and had my own amazing birth six years ago yesterday Mm -hmm. um, at home. It was incredible to realizing what the next step was for me. And that was to do coaching. And so I did a training to become a life coach and for a year now have been building that Mm -hmm. practice. And something that I've identified in my work is I see myself as a pivot person. Oh, say more about that. So that, you know, there's, we have life trajectory. There's life in front of us, life to the side of us, life behind us. You know, the thing is, is that we have a a, a larger windshield in our car than a rear view mirror. And so there's a reason for that. (laughs) We do want to be looking forward, but we want a little bit (laughs) in this and we want to look to the side, you know, and we have blind spots. So Mm -hmm. the car is an interesting metaphor for what you know life is Mm -hmm. and how we see it so but sometimes you need to make a quick turn oh yeah i'm a bicyclist you know that i know that i know that i'm trying to figure out how to map this on a bicycle i think it'll work just fine you have a little mirrors right and you have one on your helmet or i don't actually i have to actually pivot my head Right. Yeah. But there is an element of, but you understand the oh, concept. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so in life, when things come at us, we, we have choice. Mm-hmm. I know it doesn't feel that way for a lot of circumstances. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that kind of goes back to that denial piece mm-hmm. because of what it might look like in a choice of, I just can't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't feel like a choice. Right. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, experiencing all of the emotions and the energies and the possibilities is part of the whole package. And knowing when is the time to act. Mm Mm-hmm. And so one might say, well, I missed my opportunity. Maybe, maybe it just was disguised as an opportunity. And there's another one coming, Mm -hmm. you know, quote unquote, the right one. So, you know, I, I don't want to turn this into like, is it destiny or free will? I'm not going to go (laughs) that deep, but you know, there's definitely a place of acknowledging what, what we're here to do and what shows up in our life to support our inner landscape and our inner growth. So talk 
talk a little more. I'm curious about maybe some specifics of how it works to be a pivot person, right? I Let's say I come to you and I say, you know, um, I'm really, I feel really stuck. I feel like it's time for me to change the way I do things. Here's how I do things, you know, long, long story. Um, and, but I don't know, you know, I'm just not sure, you know, is it go back to college or is it, uh, you know, buy a farm? Right. (laughs) Yeah. What do we do with all these possibilities? Right. Sure. Yeah. So, so the first place is to get curious, but mm-hmm. there's also a lot of information that can be gleaned from being in a quiet space and, you know, whether or not it's a structured meditation or guided visualization, but sometimes to just find a place where we can create a, a, a platform to sort of clean the energy. So my first step in doing work is to set the tone and then to get curious and see what shows up and track. One of the pieces of coaching work is listening. That's a huge piece, but there's different levels of listening. Mm -hmm. There's the traditional, just listening with your ears and Oftentimes that listening can be also tracking in your head, like what you're going to say next and what's coming and how to answer, how to respond, how to, how to interject. I got a great story, but you know, there's a good active listening. And then there's a level of listening that also is about body language and, you know, that listening that's not coming so much from the words, but the tone. And then there's an even, the the third level of listening is global. So what's really also in the room and what is the energy that is showing up? And so that's a great place to get to. It's not as easy to do for yourself as it is to do when you're actively connecting with another person, Mm -hmm. but to hear maybe some internal excitement to hear maybe some internal pain and to just then track those and follow along and continuing to just ask questions. So it would be what inspires you most about going back to school and then just waiting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It sounds like a, a form of witnessing the work that you're doing is, is, you know, it's not completely passive witnessing, right? You're, you're asking questions, you're making possibilities available in a sense, but then you're witnessing how the response comes. Right. And engaging with that then, you know, following a, following a line and also following the client's agenda. Mm -hmm. And this is, you know, this actually 
you know, this is a global, when I think about all the work that I've done, uh, whether it be starting from when I was waiting tables to, to body work, to doula work, to coaching, there's a way to hold space mm-hmm. and to hold space for what someone thinks they need and to also hold mm-hmm. space for the possibility of stepping into something that they maybe didn't know about. Mm-hmm. And so that's then that information piece and providing guidance, but also to know that we are naturally creative, resourceful, and whole. Yeah. And so therapy, each of us, each of all of us, whether or not we yeah, know it. <laughs> right. And so, and therapy is very valuable. And, you know, there's a difference between therapy and coaching, mm-hmm. you know, and therapies in a lot of ways is looking back and asking why, mm-hmm. whereas coaching is looking forward and asking how mm-hmm. and what. Mm-hmm. So, and we, you know, we're all here needing support and accountability. Mm-hmm. That's just part of the human condition. We are social creatures yeah. and some people more than others, you mm-hmm. know, some people feel a little more maybe monkish or maybe desire more solitude, whereas others really thrive. So then we've got the introvert, the extrovert. So there's mm-hmm. personalities that affect how we see the world and support us in the best way mm-hmm. so that we've learned. But essentially, as I hold that space with that knowledge, then from there we'll reflect what I'm hearing and provide possibilities mm-hmm. and as well acknowledge mm-hmm. and it, I do believe that is one thing that we lack mm-hmm. a fair amount of yeah. in this time and it's you know and sort of re- reflecting on how parenting you know and I'm not going to get into a parenting style but there is an element of when we acknowledge all the positivity whether it's a new mom and acknowledge what's going great there, even on the minute aspects <laughs> to the children and acknowledge what children are doing. Really the positive acknowledgement, we are all, we all need it mm-hmm. and we all yeah. deserve it. Mm-hmm. And it really helps us to also differentiate between often what is our own who is our own worst critic is our mind. Mm-hmm. So it can be a great balance to have external acknowledgement that can then, the mind can go, oh, okay, I guess I, I did a good job there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I, it, it seems to me that there's a thread through so much of the work that I'm interested in and that my colleagues involve themselves in. And it involves that witness Um, and what I think is so powerful, um, and, and in this sense, I'm rephrasing what you just said is that because I think our culture develops the critic, you know, way beyond any needs that we actually have for a critic. Right. Right. Um, I think. Being the witness 
for somebody and bringing in observations that aren't informed by a critic. Right. You know, they're non-judgmental. They're meant to help provide resource and all of that. That that's, you know, being in the presence of somebody who can do that with and for us is gives us the inkling of develop it's something we can develop in ourselves eventually, right? Absolutely. And that we really need. Definitely. Um, and I and I think so often our inner witness is literally obliterated by the critic. And it's not to say that ha- having the capacity to think critically, meaning okay, you know, I'm going to analyze this situation or what I did or how I think about this. They're you different. Know, they're, it's different, yeah. right? The critic just jumps right in front and says, you're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, you're just a jerk. You know, it's kind of like, you know, we've had a little empathy for ourselves. Oh, I don't feel good. And then it's like we run out of that and we're like, you're screwed. Instead <laughs> Yeah, um, backing into, gee, you don't, you, I'm noticing you don't feel so great about what just happened. But how about this? Rather than tearing yourself down, right? You know, you hold yourself together and think about how you would, where you'd like to get to. Right. And it is in some respects about what container are you filling mm-hmm. in your consciousness? You know, the the inner critic, one of the language languages we use is a saboteur, you know, to sabotage. And the, the truth is, is that, you know, the movie Inside Out is beautiful. Like, Joy realizes that she needs sadness. Yeah. I cried out loud. Yes. Right. Because I was like, yes, <laughs> we need to all work together. Yeah. So, but, you know, fear from joy to sadness, fear is the next personality that shows up in that movie. Yeah. Because as this toddler is running around, things start getting in the way. So, and, and this is, that's a lot of where the saboteur comes from. Mm-hmm. Because there are things that we need protection from you know, even into our adulthood. But most of this is what we, our children, our childhood, maybe things related to family. There's, you know, we have so many stories out there of not feeling safe, not feeling well-parented and not having any of the language to even know that. Mm -hmm. So then we come into adulthood with a skill set that's still based in childhood. Right. Yeah. And so that inner critic is like, yeah, you're screwed because you don't have any tools to deal with this. And she's like, huh. And so then you sit there with that. And that's, you know, our, in particular, our modern Western world, but think of all the things that we use in this world to stop those voices. (laughs) Yes. I mean, and there are some good ones, maybe like working out, right? Okay, that's a good one. But if you work out like five hours a day, like that's not really, we're looking at like a blockage here. You know, we're looking at a cover up. So, you know, maybe there are some that are better than others. But this, and and of course we have, of course, everything in moderation. So it's all a matter of, and this isn't about judgment. It's just about self-awareness. Right. You know, what are you using? How are you using it? And what's happening before and what's happening after. Yeah. 
And is this a resource or a distraction, right? right? Yeah. Is this something that helps us move in that direction and the thing that we would like to be experienced? Or is it the thing that we detour on? Because it's pleasurable, right? But doesn't move us in any direction necessarily at all, perhaps even backwards sometimes. Yeah. And it is just about, again, we are... We can choose to be an active participant in our life. We can choose to be a witness. We can choose to totally check out. And there is no judgment. It's just how do you want to show up in this lifetime? And what are the tools that are going to support you best to do that? Mm -hmm. And it is an inner journey for sure. But... Again, stepping back into this place of, you know, we, you know, we're not like reptiles that are born in a, in an egg that we may not ever see our parents. Right. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean, yes, there are stories out there about adoption and, you know, things I'm not going to go into that realm. Sure, Maybe yeah. of course, again, I do believe that serves a purpose as well mm-hmm. for someone to work through that piece of abandonment or whatever might be going on there. But we are born generally into a structure with at least one, if not two, or a family of beings that are there to hold us and nurture us. So how we define our life through that structure is, again, part of the inner soul journey. But we are all here to just be learning. Mm -hmm. This is school. Life school, life earth school, life school. Um, yeah, well, um, now do you mind if we talk a little bit more about, um, being, um, uh, a parent, a queer parent and what that's meant for you in terms of community and resource? Yeah, for sure. So it's interesting for me, just like how I identify as queer. You know, when I met my first girlfriend at 20, I thought, oh, okay, here's another door I just opened. So it was a matter of me at that point falling in love with a person. And that was that journey. And then another interesting piece about that was I had defined through my 20s and 30s that being with A man meant having children and being with a woman meant not having children. Because in my mind, I had constructed, based on society's influence, that this was normal and not normal. This is, you know, babies are made in a plus and minus and this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting, I've already talked a little bit about my interest in witchcraft. And, I, you know, I'm hippy-dippy. You know, there was a point I didn't shave at all. (laughs) I've I've been through the different, you know, like journeys of what one one may say is very left. And yet I had constructed that this was my picture Mm -hmm. until I met the woman that became my partner. And I realized, oh, I've been living outside of a box in all respects, except for this really integral and important piece of being a human being, which is starting a family. Let me ask you, I'm very curious. Would you characterize um, 
you were using hand gestures over here to, to your left for, you know, kind of a heterosexual baby making unit. And then over here to your right, you know, where love and attraction maybe lived more. Um, so I'm curious if, if you would characterize the parenting piece of all that it, as a feeling of what was available or not available. Would you say that? Like, um, if I'm going to have children, the way that will be available to me is in a heterosexual relationship. Um, do you know what I'm I do. Yeah. And you know, and interesting, some things have developed for me throughout this journey that created some clarity on that. Mm -hmm. You know, what I realized later, and I didn't recognize this then, was I wanted, and talk about love, mm -hmm. I wanted love to create a baby. Mm -hmm. yes. And I didn't see that happening with two women. I mean, I did in the sense of the spiritual baby, but mm -hmm. not the physical baby. Mm -hmm. And I got really stuck on that. Yeah. So... That was when I stepped out of like, okay, it doesn't have to be in this particular box of a heterosexual unit to create it. I love this person. We are clearly meant to be together. It was a past life thing. I mean, it was, you know, we were brought together. I had done some writing to manifest my partner. She was the one. It's all, that's a long story. But the point is, clearly this was the person that I was going to have a family with. Mm -hmm. So the beauty, like I said, of her brother being our donor, I love him. Mm. We did not make a baby physically together, but I'm grateful that I had, that this is how my story showed up for me. Mm -hmm. Now, I know there are many women that choose this path on their own. There are many couples that don't, lesbian couples and, and gay men that don't mm -hmm. have a family member to introduce genetics mm -hmm. and DNA, you know, basically sure. that's what we're talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. So that was just my story. And I'm very grateful for how, in a way, how clear I was because it really did inform, I believe the path. It's almost like a kind of, um, knowing, mm -hmm. right? Like, Yes, this is how a baby will come into my purview and it will include these things, these elements right? that just in a different sort of um, architecture than we think of in the US of A as kind of typical. So going back to whatever and, the norm is. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah. and we have that term heteronormative, yeah. you know, which of course isn't even normative for heteros. Right. I mean, honestly, you right. know, heteros get babies all kinds of ways too. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> Not no, just I mean, one way. Yeah. And I mean, so. there are plenty of, you know, hetero couples where, you know, they need donated sperm or even donated eggs. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, sometimes possibly surrogates. Yeah, possibly, exactly. Yeah. Surrogacy. So mm -hmm. there's so many, and this is the thing that, you know, this was my journey and everyone's going to have their own journey. Mm -hmm. But for me, I'm, grateful that I have this whole perspective on what was important to me and how it manifested. Mm -hmm. And I think that is probably the key piece. Yeah. I mean, that's a life key piece. What's important to you, clarity, and then whatever journeys, whatever your spiritual practice, whatever your daily practice of making manifest, you know, which is also 
the idea of the art of allowing. So Mm -hmm. it's both. So anyway, so yeah, here I am, two women having a baby. (laughs) And it was, and it was amazing and and beautiful. And we were going to do the whole, you know, queer, lesbian parent family. And we were planning another one. We had made one more attempt actually right Mm -hmm. before Erica was, um, when, before the cancer came back, but Mm -hmm. I just will always recognize that she brought my daughter, she brought her family and my daughter to my life Mm -hmm. and the journey of my own inner, my strength Mm -hmm. and my own path to walk through this intense experience. And, you know, from, uh, I didn't describe myself this way, (laughs) but, um, I like it from horrendous to heroic, (laughs) you know, I I mean, it's like, I, these are my stories. Now Mm -hmm. I know people whose houses have burned down. Like that's not my story. That's horrendous. Yeah. And then you hear about these people saying, Oh, I'm just so grateful. Everything's all clean. I get to start over again. Mm -hmm. Most of us couldn't imagine losing our things, Mm -hmm. you know? So And, you know, other people have lost children, babies, and, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm not going to, you know, there's a part of me that's like, everything happens for a reason, but not in a very, not in a, um, I don't want to take away ever anyone's journey around it, Mm -hmm. but I will always go back to that place. And Mm -hmm. it's a matter of finding the gems and think about the beautiful things, not for all these stories, but where... Children have passed for various reasons and foundations have sprouted up. Mm-hmm. Movements have sprouted up, mm-hmm. you know, mad mothers against drunk drivers. Mm-hmm. You know, there are things that have shown through these mm-hmm. tragedies. You know, yeah. um, the Lotus is my symbol. It's mm-hmm. been my symbol for my doula and bodywork practice for, you know, I am Anne, the Lotus coach mm-hmm. and the lotus flower grows up through the muck mm-hmm. and the mud. It lives in the mud. And look at its bloom. Like People are stunned by the lotus flower. And it closes and it opens and its root system is unique. Mm-hmm. So, you know, really recognizing that the mud and the muck and the darkness can be so powerful for our evolution. Rich. Definitely. Fact, yeah. Yeah. Fertile. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. 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 So, okay, to kind of spin, yeah. So leading a queer life and parenting, you know, what I've, so I left San Francisco uh, when I realized I just could not afford to be a single mom here and work as a doula and a body worker. That's when all this pretty much shifted for me and I moved to Sonoma County, to Petaluma, which is an amazing community of family and an incredible Montessori school that my daughter is going to. I'm so, so blessed. We have a beautiful home that I manifested. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and so, and what I want to say is that there is definitely a part of me that for sure identifies in the queer community Mm -hmm. and, it's funny, back in the 
90s, there used to be these shirts. It just had the letters I M R U. <laughs> and I love that. And it, you don't need gay guard for that. No, right? yeah, I didn't, yeah. I mean, of course, when you're wearing them at Gay Pride, it yes. was, you know, so in the Castro. Yeah. So, you know, and there still is that place for me where, you know, I'm out somewhere with my daughter. And I'll see clearly would be a lesbian mom alone or a couple. And there's this part of me that goes, I'm one too. You know, that, so there is community is so important and like minded community. Mm-hmm. And with that being said, you know, there are just amazing people on this planet that come in all shapes and sizes, mm-hmm. belief systems and family structures. Mm-hmm. And for me, that's the most important. And yet, you know, we have all these different possibilities. It's like, it's like kind of walking into a library. You know, there's so many books to choose from. And it's just feeling, in some ways, what you gravitate towards. But sure. Yeah. So I am grateful that it's funny. There was a, there's two gay dads at our school. <laughs> Yeah, I, I found them. Yeah. I was like, hey, we got, a, we got a little team here. We got a posse. And um, so, you know, and uh, so it's nice. It's nice to have that. And we created, actually, he had started a, a gay families, you know, in Petaluma. So I'm, I've been a part of that. But, Excellent. you know, and it is important. It absolutely is important. And that's where, you know, spiritual practice, religions, you know, even interests as far as like sort of hobby interests and what you know feel like an adventure family yeah I'm looking at your knitting and thinking about you know how you gravitate towards people that like to do the things that you like to do and so and yet I guess I'm always going to come back to we are an entire community of human beings earthlings if you will because Mm -hmm. I know there's other beings on the planet so yeah um but and just this knowing that we are all one consciousness traveling separately. Mm-hmm. I think that's a fascinating concept, isn't it? I yeah. love it. Um, let me ask you, this is a very specific question. Um, are there particular resources that you and Erica dipped into in your journey to become mothers together, for instance, um, like this, you had um, her brother as your donor, uh, but were there, was there like a way in which you um, worked with that? Maybe there was an agency or maybe there was just a technique. Um, were there uh, legal services, for mm-hmm. instance, that you had to avail yourselves of, um, etc.? Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Totally. And I will say also, um, you know, there's a little bit of humor. And mm-hmm. I, 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 humor is very important. Yeah, and so, <laughs> it is. Um, 
when, you know, when I met Erica and I met her brother, I love her brother. We connected immediately and this was a done deal. Like we'd been together a couple months. This was our plan. Yeah. (laughs) So, and we got legally married when Prop 8 passed, but we didn't have our wedding yet, but we wanted to secure our legal rights, which Mm -hmm. I am so grateful for. It has supported me Mm -hmm. in numerous ways. Yeah. So the point is about, we were at about eight, six months, maybe we'd been together about six months and they got in a fight, brother and sister. Uh Oh yeah. (laughs) And so brother says, I'm not doing this for you. Now the irony is that he came to me and said, you, if you were not dating my sister, I do this for you. That's my brother-in-law. Exactly. That is very funny. Yeah. Yeah. So love him to death. (laughs) And that's kind of the drama of it all. Yes. So fast forward. Cancer, wedding cancer. Okay. And now we're back in. So this is like a year later or so. Mm-hmm. So we did not approach him at this point. We just went down the path of a, of a bank. So mm-hmm. we got online, we researched banks, we researched local banks. We did, you know, we thought about, you know, there's LA, there's across the country. So we started first with the resource of the internet and we had a vision in mind. We wanted somebody that looked like her brother. So that was where we were going. So we chose someone. We got through the whole process. And, you know, I, I'm going to say, too, I was 41 when we started this mm-hmm. and got a little. I just want to say to anybody out there that is trying this and get some kickback, got a little bit of kickback from someone who's like, you're 41. This isn't going to work. And I said, let's just try. And I did. I gave myself six months. I'm like, OK, because it was at that point in my mind. You know, there's a pretty penny that's attached to each trial. (laughs) So I thought, and this is just buying, you know, sperm. This isn't like IUI. This is just getting actual specimens. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, six months. Well, let's just go from there. So anyway, the point is one month tried. It didn't take. And then I don't actually remember or even know when the conversation happened, but it was noted to Aaron that we were trying and he said he wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. So three tries with him, but to backtrack, Mm -hmm. we did, I had a friend who was a lawyer. So we created a donor contract. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So even though it was a family member, Mm -hmm. we just wanted to be very clear about, you know, what his responsibilities were and we're not going to be and what his um, rights to everything, yeah. you know? Now, of course, this is, we knew that Erica had cancer, but she was alive. So this was all drawn up when our daughter, when our child was going to have two parents. Mm-hmm. So things have shifted a little bit, mm-hmm. but As still, they do. Yeah, I mean, as they do. But members yeah. come and go. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, this is, you know, we have evolved through the journey and, um, he is definitely daddy. And I mean, you know, as you know, there are men, even, even dads like that, their sperm, they're married they're And they're like, they don't do baby very well. <laughs> and yet, <laughs> so they do kid, you know, and he mm-hmm. has stepped in, in a big way. Now she just turned six. Like, it's a whole different game. And mm-hmm. he, there's an interaction. There's a person there. So, um, now I knew there was a person there from the day that she was born, but it's different. Yeah. So anyway, the evolution of our journey, just about taking it as it comes and seeing what presents itself. I would just say this. It's important to have clarity, to have conversation, to have 
an understanding of how this is going to, at least for the present, because we can't, you know, we can't totally know the future, of course. So, you know, but how are you going to be, you know, and I'm going to say consciously mm-hmm. making this. And that is, I think that's an overriding concept that I work with on a daily basis for my own personal journey and in my practice, both as a, I mean, I do conscious body work, Mm -hmm. you know, conscious dual work, conscious coaching. And so we all are doing life, whether you like it or not, Mm -hmm. we're doing life. You know, if you lay in bed all day or you're like superwoman, you're doing life, but are you able to do it consciously, you know, and shift happens. It just does. So that's where that pivot person comes into play again too. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we how do we pivot from an experience by adding consciousness and an awareness of what what else is informing us mm-hmm. in that space? So I think it's it's nice to um, imagine that other people's consciousness is a resource for ourselves, right? Like that we have our consciousness, which is something we develop. Yes. Right? It's developmental um, and others as well. And that we can avail ourselves uh, when it's on offer right. of other people's consciousness and that that can help us develop our own. Right. And I will say, you know, I'm... I'm coming at this journey from, you know, more than three quarters of it, having done therapy and workshops and retreats and women's groups and coaching, you know, I have been in my own self construction Yeah, and, 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 and spiritual work. So it doesn't just happen. It's again, a conscious decision to how are you going to, walk through this life? How are you going to, are you going to just, again, is it going to just happen to you? Because we haven't, we haven't thrown this word out into this conversation, but are you going to be a victim? (laughs) Yeah. Or are you going to take responsibility? And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're at fault when you take responsibility, Mm -hmm. but Jack Canfield, one of my mentors is, is an equation I love. And it's E plus R equals O. So the events, the E, the events or the experiences in our life, plus the reactions or the responses we have to it equals the outcome. (laughs) So it isn't really, so it isn't about my mom's death. It isn't about my partner's cancer. It isn't about my becoming a single mom, not by choice. Mm -hmm. Those are events. Those are events. Mm -hmm. But it's what I've done with them Mm -hmm. and how I've traveled through them and how I've said, okay, well, (laughs) and it's not all, you know, again, I'm beyond, there's some years behind me, but still, even in the moment, it was like, this is what it is. And I've made the choices to see things through a spiritual lens Mm -hmm. and to see, and it has really supported me to understanding that it is, it is bigger than me. And yet I, no matter how big it is, I'm an integral part 
of the it, of the, the, the path I'm walking, of the people that I'm touching, mm-hmm. you know, of why I'm here right now. It's really, the more that we all can just, again, take responsibility for how we show up mm-hmm. and how we interact with, our, with everybody, with our partners, with our children, with our co-workers, and most importantly, with ourselves. Yeah. With that mind piece. So, yeah. yeah. And thanks so much for coming today um, and um, having this lovely conversation. It's just been delightful. It's been my pleasure to explore and share and have create amazing conversation about how we can be the best versions of ourselves. Yay. And why don't you just let us know if anyone's interested in contacting you, what's the best way to do that? Miss Lotus at Comcast.net. M-I-S-S-L-O-T-U-S. You can find out more about Esther Gallagher on estergallagher.com. You can also subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone. And I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband, Ben, daughter, Penelope, and baby girl, Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now. Hello again, bicycle man I know you're doing all that you can I wrote the song, simple and true I wrote the song, I'll sing a song for you You got your wheels, you got your gears You ride around town without any fear You got your pedals, you got your brakes You always wear your helmet for safety's sake